This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, December 27th, 2015. More than a Christmas story, predictably unpredictable. (laughs) Yeah. Predictably unpredictable. That's our focus this morning as we conclude our series, More Than a Christmas. You really relate to that, don't you? (laughs) I just feel like that's me up there. (laughs) And I can feel the door against my head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, good morning Connection Church. It is so good to be back together this morning. Thank you faithful people for coming to church after being here already this week. Some one service, some two, some three, and some four. So thank you so much for joining us. My name's Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who've been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Thank you, God, for today. A great day where we celebrate your birth and the way that you have intervened in our lives to give us a hope, to give us hope and a future. Open our hearts that we might receive you in a new or renewed way this morning. We pray this in your name, and everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's uh, kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on pilgrimage to worship him. So here we have grown men, very wise men, scholars. They're also known as the Magi, and they came from far away. They came from the east, not only to visit, but to worship a baby. To worship the baby born in Bethlehem. I mean, that is wild when you think (laughs) about that. I mean, it's so incredibly unpredictable Did anyone see that coming? Well, of course God did. So, you know, there may have been others who visited the baby Jesus, but only two groups are mentioned in the scriptures. The the first were the shepherds, and the second were these wise men. Now, the the shepherds represented the common, everyday people. and In fact, the shepherds were part of what we would probably call the lower socioeconomic group at that day and time. They In fact, they weren't even really that welcome in the church, the temple, as they were ceremonially unclean, as they were always in touch with the sheep, with animals. And plus, like many in our culture today, they had to work when the serious serious services were being held at the temple. And yet on the night that Jesus was born, they were the ones that were first contacted to, to show up. There were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood, They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angels stood among them, and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angels said, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in Davidstown, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you're to look for a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. 
And so the, the shepherds were the first ones on the scene. You know, God is so unpredictable. I think a lot of people would have probably thought that maybe religious leaders would, would be the first to see this baby. Those, those who uh, focused their time, their energy, it was their, it was their vocation to look at religious thought and activity. But no, it was a group of guys who were, who were uh, far from church who first got the first invite. On the one hand, it's kind of unpredictable. On the other hand, it makes all the sense in the world when you consider how God works. You know, first of all, shepherds, uh, shepherds have been a very important part of our story with God. Way back, Abraham and his descendants were were shepherds. So, so were Moses. So was King David. The list goes on. In fact, Jesus is called the great shepherd, and we are his sheep. Uh, plus, when you look at the people that Jesus paid attention to, it usually wasn't the high and mighty, but it was usually those in those uh, lower uh, socioeconomic groups, uh, those who were outcasts, those who were uh, rejected by society, not your typical churchgoer of the day, the prostitutes, the cheating tax collectors, and other people that they would have labeled sinners in that culture. And so with that in mind, it would be very predictable that God would send a heavenly chorus to invite some humble shepherds out in the field to be the first to see God's own son. Predictably unpredictable. You know, Connection Church was not started for the typical churchgoer either. We felt strongly called to reach those people who were on the edges of society, the people who don't feel welcome in the house of God, the people who may be far from God. Our mission is to connect people with Jesus. That's all of us, but to have a particular mind and thought for those who aren't on the inside. And then with the mission, the life he offers, actually it's the new life he offers. When we receive Christ, we're no longer the same, and we experience new life in Christ. And so that's why Connection Church, one of our core values is radical hospitality because we want everyone who comes in the door, just as you've received hospitality for everybody else, to receive that too, so that they would be open to receive the great gift of Jesus Christ, just like many of us already have. Christ came for all, those who were on the outskirts and those who have been walking with God for a long time. Back to the wise men. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified, and, and not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. If it's you, Bethlehem, and Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. 
And Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. And then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child, leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll send you at once in your worship. And I'll join you at once in your worship. So the second visitors that we read about are the scholars, the wise men, the magi, this group that was so very different than the first visitors, the shepherds. I mean, we have to wonder why. Why would God call these two people groups so very opposite from one another as the visitors recorded in the visit of the newborn king? Well, perhaps it's for our sake to remind us, to let us know that Jesus Christ is for all. No matter where we are, on this edge or this edge, and everyone in between, he came for every one of us, everybody on the planet, whether we accept him or not. You know, there are people who deny even that Jesus existed, just believe that it's, you know, some history or whatever, but he came for them too. And it's up to us to share that good news, to share that Jesus did come for all, to help people who don't feel connected, to help people who are lost, which is us without Jesus, to show them this hope and future that Christ points all of us to. It really does make so much sense that it's shepherds and scholars. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So who does this scripture apply to? Whoever. That's everyone. Hmm. Then you have to wonder, how in the world did the wise men know what was going on here? How did they know to look for a star? How were they familiar with the Old Testament prophecies? Well, as you know, with God, all things are possible. From a practical standpoint, some scholars have suggested that perhaps the wise men were part of a remnant of the Jewish people who were exiled years before during the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians back 600 years before had come in, taken over Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and actually had taken the best and the brightest back to Babylon to have them kind of live with, intermarry, and enculturate them into the Babylonian system there. And um, later, about 40 years later, when, uh, when King Cyrus, Cyrus of Persia, when they overtook the Babylonians, he, he uh, gave the uh, Hebrews permission to go back home. In fact, he helped fund the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. But you know, when you get kind of entrenched in a place and you got your roots there, you got your washer and dryer all set up in the house, you know, it's just too heavy to move. And so a lot of those, the Jews, the Hebrews who were living in Babylon, they stayed. Not all of them came back home. And, and so thought is perhaps maybe, maybe the, those uh, scholars, those wise men, had roots from back from the exile, and that's where they were coming from. 
You know, if so, gosh, God is so predictably unpredictable, huh? Wow. These wise men were also believed to be astronomers. And perhaps the familiarity with the Old Testament prophecies that a child would be born, coupled with their astronomy gift, putting that together, led them so that when they saw this unusual star in the sky, it clicked. They saw it as a sign that, of something that they were familiar with in the Hebrew writings. Mm. So the bottom line here is nothing in Scripture really tells us how they knew that the star in the sky was a signal of the birth of Jesus. We don't have that all explained. That's okay. That's part of the mystery of Christmas. All we know is this. There was a star. They followed it. They went to Herod, asked directions. They were told the Old Testament prophecies pointed to Bethlehem. And Herod also asked them to let, them, let him know when they found the child so he could worship the baby as well. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. You know, it makes sense, and it's fairly predictable that the, the Magi would, would bring gifts, especially since they came to pay homage to a new king. This king was unlike any other, though. The, the throne of this king was found in heaven, not on earth. This was a king who was born in a stable, not a palace. Uh, this was a king who was born king. You know, usually you've got to go through that two-step process. You're a prince, and then you become a king. But this guy was king of the Jews right from the get-go, although we often refer to him as prince, the prince of peace. An interesting and challenging and even unpredictable part of all this is the nature of the gifts that were brought to the king. Gifts that grown men brought a baby, highly valued. But then again, when you really think about it, the gifts make perfect sense after all, when you think about who the recipient is. Gold, the first gift that was presented, a gift truly fit for a king. Jesus was the king of the Jews. Next of all, frankincense. Frankincense is a resin from a tree that, when burned, gives this fragrant uh, smell. It's like a pleasant aroma. It was used in the temples. It was used for worship. And it was symbolic of Jesus being the high priest. And then myrrh, perhaps the most unusual gift. It's also a resin, but it had, and it had the same qualities of frankincense. It was also used to embalm. Now, Jews did not embalm people, but this gift is symbolic of the brutal death that this little baby in a manger would experience some 30 years in his future. And this myrrh also was used coupled with wine, so this myrrh-wine mixture would be given to Jesus Christ 
as he hung on the cross, said he was thirsty, and they gave this bitter bitterness to Christ some 30 years in his future. Expensive prophetic gifts are what the Magi brought, predictably unpredictable. You know, God is so incredible, so predictably unpredictable that there may have been a very, very practical side to these exotic gifts. Some have suggested that here's the practical aspect. Um, shortly thereafter, after the wise men visited the baby, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, for political reasons, had to head for Egypt. Uh, Herod wanted to kill the child, and Joseph was told to, to leave. And you know, he had a business there. He had a carpentry business there in, uh, where they were. Um, you pick up roots and you move to an entirely different country, it's not e that easy to get started. I, I'm, I doubt that he, ha he uh, you know, was rolling in cash in the bank account, you know. Uh, he was a, a common carpenter. So perhaps these exotic, valuable gifts were kind of a nest egg for them in order to take care of business while they were in, uh, in escape mode before they were able to get back and get back settled down in the homeland. It's interesting, isn't it, to think about. Anyway, in a dream, the, um, the wise men were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route, left the country without being seen, and returned to their own country. So they were warned not to go back and report to Herod because King Herod had other plans, not to worship the baby, but to kill Jesus instead. And so they did go home by a different route. Interesting, these men, these magi, the wise men, they were far removed from the situation. They were men who, who were not part of the Hebrew community. And yet, when God spoke into their lives and gave them directions, instruction, they were obedient, and they followed. And then you have Herod, a Jew, who, who knew about the prophecy, you know, the Messiah was coming, and instead, he uh, didn't not only not worship the child, but he wanted to destroy the child as a threat to his kingship. It's so ironic, these people groups and their response to this baby Jesus. Predictably unpredictable. Mm. That's interesting, this whole Christmas story, this actual Christmas story, not just another Christmas story, but the, the real Christmas story from virgin mother to the birth in the stable to a heavenly choir singing to shepherds in a field, to those same shepherds being the first visitors to, the, to see the newborn king, Jesus, to the wise men from afar bringing expensive gifts and bowing down on their knees to worship, to a local king feeling threatened by a mere child, to, to everything about this story is predictably unpredictable. Unpredictable because the way God does business is usually not the way we do business, as, as we read in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, knowing that God has much greater vision and understanding than we have, and therefore knows much, much, much more than we do, and, and therefore will we'll do things very differently than we would do things, makes God's unpredictability somewhat predictable when we know that that's God's nature. When we know that uh, God's nature is able to see far beyond what we can see, then we could ex come to expect that what God would do would be somewhat unpredictable from our limited viewpoint, from our li limited vantage point, you know? You know, and we would come to be able to know in advance sometimes then that God is bigger than our prayers, bigger than our expectations, you know? We like to try to contain God. And the God that we worship will not be contained. We don't tell, you know, the old thing, uh, we don't say jump and God says how high. That's not how this whole thing works. Yet sometimes that's what we like. We, we want a predictable God because that's a God that we can control. And this God is out of control. Not bad, but out of our control and is therefore unpredictable from our limited vantage point. And when we come to realize that, then those things that seem so unpredictable become very predictable because that's the nature of God. It's God's nature to be beyond what we can predict, if that makes sense. I know it sounds like we're going around in circles, but the very unpredictability becomes predictable when we know that that's God's nature. God is so much bigger than our thoughts and our vision. This church is an example of that. 14 years ago, when we joined up that ramp, that ramp wasn't there, this was a, a warehouse, cement floor, nothing here. When we joined up there together, it was 14 <coughs> families, it was 40 people, including babies. <laughs> and we were convinced that the vision that God had for Connection Church was to connect people with Jesus and the life he offers. And that first Christmas Eve, you know, 250 people and 100 of them were like friends and family that we recruited to show up. It's probably 200. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm just curious, those of you who were in the room who were here that first Christmas, put your hand high. One, two, three, four, five, six. Wow. This is how God is so cool. God knew that we couldn't keep the gospel to ourselves, that our call was to share the good news with people. And now that 250 uh, bunch of people up there uh, 14 years ago turned into nearly 1,000 a couple nights ago. God is so awesome because God's plans are so much bigger than our plans. And he not only does it with our church, but he does it in your lives. God's plan is so much bigger for your life than what you could ever dream or fathom. And all we need to do is trust. Say, okay, here I am. And I guarantee you, God's predictability that he will always be there for you will lead you to some very surprising places in your life.
Mm-hmm. You know, God's unpredictability, um, with that in mind, we would expect that God's Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world, we would expect that rather than in a palace, he wouldn't be born in a palace, but he would be born someplace else. And if you think about it, a stable makes all the sense in the world. And with that in mind, we could predict then that later in life, this Son of God in his ministry would tell us things like, I came to serve, not be served. No, most kings come to be served. But he flips that around, doesn't he? I came to serve, not be served. And he would say things like, the first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, it turns everything on its head, so to speak. He, he tells us that he came for the sinners and not for the righteous, as those who are sick need the doctor, not those who are well. You know, the more that we've come to know Jesus, the more we realize that how much we don't know. The more I read the pages of this Bible, the more I realize I need to read more of the pages of this Bible and that God is alive and God speaks through words that I've read a hundred times. The more we go know God, for me, the more I realize I don't. And it just causes me to be thirstier and thirstier and thirstier to know more and more and more. And that's how God is. God will surprise you in your life when you just say, okay, God will do a 180 degree turn just when you think you're going this way. He's gonna say, okay, you followed me here, but I want you over here. Or I want you to do this, or I want you to call this person, or I want you to show up here, or I want you to forgive this person or love this person. God's call and claim in our lives becomes radically different too when we follow. And things become very interesting in the predictability that God will never leave us or forsake us or take us any place where he's not gonna show us where and what to do, but he's not gonna do it until we're in the moment most of the time. Predictably, unpredictable. Hmm. And I think the most challenging aspect of all this, this predictable unpredictability, this God who will not be controlled by us, perhaps the most challenging aspect for me, and might be true for you also, is to realize, to try to understand, and most especially to accept this idea that he sent his one and only son, whose birth we celebrate now, but In a couple months, we will be looking at his death and resurrection. This idea that his son Jesus not only loves us enough to die for us, but loves us just as we are. Flaws and all, but too much to leave us there. And so... Many of us would ask the question like that, how how can God love me (laughs) like I am? How can this perfect son of God who is 100% human yet 100% divine, God's very own son of the same substance as God, how can he possibly love me just as I am, and yet he does. 
just like God does. Jesus does, like Father, like Son. God loves us, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us just as Ron, it's for this reason that Jesus is, is, is willing to move heaven and earth to try to draw us closer to him, to try to draw us closer to this life he offers to us, to draw us closer to this personal relationship with him as Lord and Savior in our lives so that, so that we can then travel through eternity with him. Wow. It's okay if you don't understand this <laughs> because it's really beyond what we can understand. All we need to do is accept it, to receive it. You know, it takes a lifetime sometimes to get that Jesus loves you for you. Jesus loves me for me. It is hard to grasp that we don't have to do anything to receive that love because in this world, everything's conditional. Everything's conditional. But in God's world, love is so unconditional. It's just there for us. You know, here at Connection Church, the beauty of this place is that we're just such an interesting bunch. We are. Some of us are like here in our relationship with Jesus. And when I mean here, it might be like, I'm not even sure I believe. And then others of us are here saying, okay, I've been, I'm, I'm sold out. And then there's a whole bunch of people in, the, in between. That's the beauty of this place. And our call is to always try to reach beyond these walls so that people come and hear about the hope and the new life that Jesus offers. Many of you have accepted that and claimed that life for you, and others might not have. So we want to kind of lay it out kind of easy for you, those who have, those who haven't, because every single day we all should claim Christ again every day. But you just may encounter when you go to work tomorrow or when you go back to school next week or perhaps in your own household, someone who has a question like, well, how do I receive Christ? Three words. Admit, believe, and receive. Admit you're a sinner saved by Jesus' love that we're all in our mess. We just preached this a couple nights ago. Our lives are a mess, and Jesus wants to come into that mess. And then believe, just in faith, accept that Jesus died on the cross for you, for me. And then receive the gift of that relationship. If you do that today for the first time, you might not feel anything, you know, different, but it's in faith we accept the gift, we accept that relationship, but the next time you're faced with a challenge or something, you just might respond differently, and it's like, yes, that's Jesus in my life. There's a prayer that we have on the screen, and we invite all of us together, if you're comfortable, 
to say that prayer to receive Christ either for the first time or once again in your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as Lord and Savior. Amen. Admit, believe, receive. There you have it. Be ready. Be ready to reflect that, to share that with those who you might meet. Or if today you prayed that for the first time, we just want to say happy birthday. It's your spiritual birthday. And Jesus came for all, for you, for me, for everyone. We all received gifts under the tree or from one another, but hands down the greatest gift that we have ever received in our life is that relationship with Jesus Christ. Where the dark is never so dark anymore, and there is always hope for another day. That's the good news. Let's believe it, and let's live it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, it's, um, it's kind of out of our comfort zone to give up our own will and submit to your will. But Lord, in your unpredictability of where you'll take us, and that's usually why we say no, because we're afraid, the predictable part is that you will always be there, you will always guide us and never take us to a place where you don't want us. So we thank you. Thank you for coming into our lives, baby in a manger, for the witness of the shepherds and the wise men and how you came to claim each one of us as your own. We thank you, O glorious one, for your light outshines the sun. We praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody gathered said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church office.